Hey everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub. Very excited to continue our efficient engineering conversation today. If you guys missed the post early in the day, we're gonna talk to Nick in just a couple of minutes. Nick is the, I'm probably gonna butcher this, but Nick is one of the co-founders, co-creators of Node-RED. And now 10 years later, he is working, he, I guess he has started a company and they are working to bring Node-RED to a more industrialized platform. But those are my words, not Nick's. We'll give in about two more minutes and we will go ahead and let Nick, Nick say, that in his own words and hopefully better words than the words that I have just had. If you guys are new here, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. If you are new here, we are a very open kind of fun conversation show. Over the course of the next 60 to 75 minutes, we'll chat with Nick. If you guys have questions and comments, please feel free to throw them in the chat. We will do our very best to go ahead and bring those questions and comments to the chat as possible. And then if we don't have the opportunity to get to them, we will do our very best to make sure those get answered after the show. I do want to make a special announcement. Automate is less than two weeks away. So two weeks from today, the day that you guys are potentially watching this live, Vlad and I will be at the Siemens booth at Automate doing live shows and having a bunch of conversations. I made the note of these. So the Siemens booth is booth 3618. So we will be at booth 3618 all of Wednesday. We'll have a live show there. We are going to have some behind the scenes stuff that I'm not really sure that we can talk about yet. In fact, I'm not really sure we're supposed to be able to talk about it at the show, but no one has told me, Dave, don't talk about this yet. So there'll, there'll be some behind the scenes stuff that we will absolutely go ahead and, and have fun with which overall should be good vlad and i manufacturing hub will be at the show all week long all week long we'll be at the siemens booth we'll be at the festo booth we'll be at the phoenix contact booth we'll be all over the place seeing everyone it should be good if you guys want to meet us in person or see us again in person if you know us please feel free to come up we will be sure to go ahead and post where we are going to be across all of that very excited for that without further ado Officially, everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub. My name is Dave. This guy down here is Vlad. And we're very excited to continue our efficient engineering conversation sponsored by Siemens. Our guest this week is Nick O'Leary. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks, guys. It's great to be here. Really appreciate you joining us today, Nick. I think it's going to be a great conversation. As Dave has mentioned a little bit off stream, we both made some posts about Node-RED. There's been certainly an interesting bit of discussion going on. So I'm looking forward to diving into that conversation. But before we do that, could you give us a bit of a background, Nick? How did you get started in software? How did you build out Node-RED and ultimately give us some information about what it is that you're building today? Of course. To yeah, my career has been a fairly simple one, or it's a short list, as in that I joined IBM straight from university as a software developer and found myself working in IBM across quite a wide variety of roles, mostly on the software engineering side of the house, working on product, doing customer solution engineering type stuff, but really getting stuck into lots of different things. And I found myself working alongside Andy Stanford-Clark, who is one of the co-creators of MQTT. And in fact, I was working on one of our MQTT implementations, a very small messaging broker. And this is before MQTT is known outside of IBM for where it's got to today. Through that, I got very much involved with what we would now know as IoT back then, that, that term wasn't really 
hadn't been coined necessarily or hadn't been broadly recognised at that point. But doing a lot of work on MQTT and through that got involved. I'm part of the OASIS Standards Committee for MQTT, spent a lot of time in standards committees talking through how we standardise MQTT and getting that through the process, both the original version 3, which was the version everyone knew, and this was the ratification of that standard, but then also moving on to, okay, now we've ratified what everyone's using, let's improve it and spent a couple of years working in the standards committee towards MQTV 5. But the point being, a lot of time spent thinking about low-level messaging, edge-of-network stuff, IoT-type scenarios. And just through that, my I, ha- I ended up in the Emerging Technologies group at IBM, which was a very atypical group for a company like IBM in that it was a group whose remit was to do interesting projects for customers. So this wasn't services in the sense of go build an ERP system for this customer type of thing. It was very much a, a customer would come to us with a problem and it would be, let's find some innovative way of solving it. Typically proof of concept type stuff. We will have one week, two weeks just to build some, do some innovation around that problem. And because of my MQT background, I was getting involved with a number of, again, IoT type projects, some in the manufacturing space, I, which I'll come back to once I've got to the node red part of the story. But the great thing about that role was, yes, it was a services role, but we weren't there to be like 90% utilized, 100% utilized. Our goal was to be about 50% utilized, basically half your time doing client work and half your time learning or innovating or because if we're doing emerging technologies we have to stay on top of what's emerging and do the innovation so it was in this context of i was between client projects and my background doing a lot of nqtt like messaging i had tried a few years earlier thinking so the product the mqtt product i had been working on you could set up mapping. So when an message comes in on one topic, you could write some code to make it get republished on a different topic. But it was all code driven and it was a real pain to use and just wasn't user friendly. And at that time I thought, yeah, wouldn't it be neat? What's the visualization of this? And wouldn't there be a more accessible way to configure your broker to do these mappings just by drawing a visualization? And I, I did some experimenting back then, but yeah, browser technology wasn't the sorts of visualizations you could do in the browser. It was just clunky and wasn't that fun. Anyway, fast forward to when I was in the emerging technology role, I thought that this idea came back to me. And I thought a couple of years on, the sorts of visualizations you can do in a browser have leaps, leaps and bounds beyond what it had been three, four years earlier. And... I started playing around this idea of, okay, let's visualize mapping between MQTT topics and imagine a workspace where you can drag on a node that represents an MQTT topic and then draw a wire to another node that is a different MQTT topic. So it was a very simple proof of concept and I wrote a bit of code on the back end to actually make it do something. And I showed it to my colleague and who had been, again, very involved in the MQTT world. And he was like, that's great. 
can I use it tomorrow as a client project? <laughs> because he was about to go off and start a new project and he knew he was going to be getting thrown random sensor data from lots of different devices and need to very quickly organize it and get it all mapped. And so that happened. And then sort of a day or two later, he said, they've given me a serial device. So I'm getting data over serial, not MQTT. Could we have a node that can pull data off a serial port? And I was like, okay, knocked one of those up and added that into the mix. And I think it's not really for the first sort of month, every day or two, a client project came up with a need for a different type of data source. And it just seemed, it just makes sense. Let's add support for that. And let's add support. So we were, yeah, what became Node-RED was quite a, started out as me just wanting to play around with this idea of mapping topics and just very quickly became something that was actually pretty useful for the for actual paid work and the sorts of client projects that the team were doing. And yeah, we then took a step back and thought, let's now make this a bit more structured and rework the code base from this very rapid prototyping mode we were in and made it much more easier to write extra nodes rather than all being hard-coded in and all this sort of stuff. And that was the genesis of Node-RED. It was literally within days of me playing around with a prototype to it being used in a proof of concept for a client and it just evolved super quickly. And then a great example in the manufacturing space was I ended up doing a client project for a food manufacturer that wanted to instrument a production line with a whole bunch of sensors. And this was in their development factory. It wasn't live, but they wanted to be able to do some data analysis on, I think, could they predict quality drops based on sensor data of different things happening on the line type of stuff. So we turned up with a box full of Raspberry Pis and a whole bunch of sensors. And we worked with the engineer on the floor, literally zip tying sensors and all sorts of things, all coming back to some Raspberry Pis, gathering the data. And we just, we needed a quick and easy way to gather the data. So we put Node-RED on each of these Pis created some flows that when sort of the line, each time the line progressed, it would just trigger gathering data from all these sensors. Now, and yeah, it and then we could squirt that data up to a database and then the big heavy IBM software could do the data analysis. That was all grand. Where, and that was fun. And it's a few days in a ice cream factory. <laughs> it's not the Willy Wonka <laughs> image you may have. Although there were pipes with chocolate running through, it was much more industrial than a rolled dial would have you think. But but then the real value came, but this factory was like a five hour drive away from where we're based. So we'd gone up, we'd done all the planning, we'd gone up for one day, did the fit out, got it working. And then a few days later, we got a call saying they'd had to swap out one of the sensors. And now the voltage, it was sending back mapped to a different pressure range or I forget what the sensor was. So it was like, yeah, when can you guys come back up to rebuild, to reconfigure the system? Whilst I was on the phone with this guy, I connected to the VPN, opened up Node-RED in my browser. And as soon as he had told me the numbers over the phone, I just updated the numbers in software and I hit deploy and I told him you're good to go. You know, that we don't need to arrange a site visit it's all updated and we could then show them how to do that because they are they're engineers building 
manufacturing lines, they're not software engineers, but they understand PLC systems and they can understand, you know, it meant the system we'd put in for them wasn't a big black box of IBM software. It was actually, no, you just point a web browser at here and they could instantly understand in the low code environment of Node-RED the relationship between the sensor and the data it was producing and how to manage that data. So that was really cool. And again, just testament to the value we were finding for ourselves in Node-RED. Then IBM being IBM, we we want to take a moment to think, okay, what do we do next? You know, this is a super useful project that we're using. What's its future and what path we want to take? Now, I've long been a big open source advocate doing a lot of open source MQTT work already. And to me, it just felt, yeah, this is either going to be an IBM product or it's going to be an open source project. <laughs> and it was clear where we weren't positioned well in the company to convince anyone to turn it into a product. And you know, also it was at that point, it was a novel little tool, didn't really align with IBM strategic solutions type of stuff. And it made sense. And we got, having been told it could take up to three months to get approval to open source it, a lot of stars aligned and it took six days to get the approval, and which is pure luck on scheduling in terms of the board that would meet to give these approvals happened to be meeting in five days after we applied and we got on the agenda. And I think we, yeah, yes, it was some effort just to satisfy all the sort of requirements. Again, this was 10 years ago when open source was, IBM is a huge open source contributor. It is one of the largest historically, but at that time, it wasn't evenly distributed, shall we say, within the company. So there were some areas of the company who really got uh, understood open source, made huge contributions to the Linux Foundation, Eclipse Foundation, all that sort of stuff. But I think the product areas were perhaps a little more guarded, shall we say. Anyway, we got the approvals. We Nick, I have a question. Yeah. If I can ask a question on an open source specifically, because I think that topic is coming up more and more in the industrial space. But I certainly wouldn't say that even I have a deep understanding of what happens when a company like IBM decides to open source a project. Mm -hmm. And like at this time, at least like from what I see from the outside, there's certainly many different branches that spun off of Node-RED specifically. But could you walk us through from that moment that IBM decides to open source it, what really happens? Does that mean that IBM seizes support? of the product? Does that mean they assign certain engineers to support it? Can anyone pull branches without any license agreements? Like how does that kind of that, shape up? So I mean, it, for us, because we weren't a product team open sourcing something, you know, we were this services group who had created this asset. I think some of the, it was slightly easier to navigate some of those questions, but the requirements were what license are you going to open source it as? And what are the terms and conditions of support, all that sort of stuff. I think a lot of it was, mm -hmm. are you going to cause IBM trouble by open sourcing this? Um, but I think it was clear we were going to, we open source it as Apache 2, which is a well-liked and favorable license for open sourcing, very favorable to commercial use, doesn't restrict people from that regard. Yeah, and there are many other open source licenses which would have done just as interesting, just as well a job, but we went with Apache 2. And yeah, it was done on the understanding that we are going to continue developing it ourselves. 
there's no there was no financial commitment from IBM and uh, I think that's I was fortunately in a position where I we'd created Node-RED as a side project to our day jobs and our day jobs had enabled us to keep developing it in service of the day job I yeah again I think we got fortunate we got appropriate support from the right places within the company that they recognized what was happening in the open source community around Node-RED. And I managed to get myself a role in the developer advocacy, open source developer advocacy organization, which again, gave me kind of the cover to keep working on Node-RED whilst using it as part of our developer advocacy work for the broader IBM. Because you could use Node-RED to demo all sorts of IBM cloud services super easily. And it worked really well for, for that side. If you want to get a room full of people started using whatever Watson AI solution is, the one that people wanted pushing at that time, we could create a workshop that used Node-RED. Participants wouldn't have to spend their time figuring out lines of code. You could build a solution that showed value super easily. So that that managed to get me in a position within the company that doing developer advocacy, it gave me the cover to continue working on Node-RED, which is super fortunate. And I still, is again, it's one of those, when I look back, I don't, I recognize how super lucky I was to find myself in that position. I, effectively, I turned a personal side project into my day job at a company like IBM, which doesn't happen generally. <laughs> that, it was, and again, I think it just comes down to, I got good support from good people within the company who recognized the value and yeah, and it, it wasn't always straightforward maintaining that balance, but it certainly got me to where we are. And so IBM contributed Node-RED to the JS Foundation, as it was then, now the OpenJS Foundation, which was a key step because being part of a foundation means puts open governance around the project. It stopped being IBM's Node-RED. So it, it was no longer a project solely owned and controlled by IBM, even as an open source project. It was not owned by IBM anymore. Part of the OpenJS Foundation, which is much more, as I say, about governance. So who, who gets a say in what happens in the project? How do you manage? Who makes key decisions? That type of stuff. And that, I certainly think, has been one of the, certainly in the more commercial space, one of the things that has helped Node-RED get adopted by um, commercial users because they recognize it isn't a single vendor solution that they're investing it is a, an open source project with open governance around it so that's and how does it work hmm. sorry again like nick to interrupt and again maybe a basic question for you but if i was to develop a node for node red and i submit a node that then who oversees that hey that is a great addition let's push that into the official release. How does that process work? If someone wants to get involved in the project, sure. let's say today. For those who aren't familiar with Node-RED, it, it is based around this idea of a, a workspace where you drag nodes on that represent different bits of functionality and you draw wires, which represent the flow of information between those. Mm -hmm. One of the key things we did very early on in the project is we recognized it wasn't sustainable to just add every node we needed into the core of Node-RED. 
we needed to make it so that it was extensible, that people could write their own nodes and install it for themselves without us having to gatekeep what gets in and what doesn't. That's something we built in very early on in the life of the project. And there's over, was it over 4,200 third-party nodes in the community. So these nodes, people self-publish and they add to the community library. It means, yeah, we as in the core of Node-RED aren't we we have no there's no gatekeeping there is no blocking or we yes we do keep an eye on making sure good quality stuff rises to the top and all that sort of stuff but we built it as an open platform so people can write their own nodes and either share them with the community or keep them to themselves we don't mind that's an important part it's extensible open and extensible without having to push things always into the core in terms of then people wanting to contribute new features and that type of stuff, again, we have an open development process. People can, via the forums, propose features. We can discuss them. I think one of the things historically we've struggled a bit with is getting those feature requests to come with actual contributions to realize them. Yes. So we've got a, a very healthy wish list that are all good, all valid ideas in terms of actual pairs of hands writing lines of code to realize them that i think that's one of the areas where have been historically more constrained but again I'll, I, I do try and make sure we are open in the sense that if people want to get involved in the develop, core development of node red that they can i always try and make myself available and open to conversations and yeah try and work out if there are any barriers to people or perceived barriers to people contributing to the core of Node-RED, or the bits around Node-RED that we'd manage within the Node-RED organization. I would say, Nick, if I may ask one last open source question. So you, and especially being part of IBM, have gone down the open source road many times, right? So we had Arlen Nipper, the other co-inventor mm -hmm. of MQTT yeah. on. I think he was episode 67. I've said it enough times. It's now burned <laughs> in my memory and I don't have to look it up. But we, ha we had Arlen on. We didn't really, I think we might have breezed over the open source and they went with the Eclipse Foundation, or I guess IBM went with the Eclipse Foundation for that. I would imagine most of our listeners are not familiar, have never gone through the process of open sourcing. But if an organization has a piece of software that they're working on and the option is, hey, do we build this as an internal tool or do we go down the open source route? Based upon your experience working with a huge contributor, what are some good reasons or some good whys to open source a tool as opposed to keep it all to themselves? I just like the idea of sharing, <laughs> yeah, and of if it's good, I want other people to benefit. It's slightly altruistic in the sense of it's a useful tool. And yeah, certainly with Node-RED back then, the thinking was right. We weren't in a position to commercialize it. So the choice was it sits on a shelf gathering dust, apart from when we use it in client projects, and it it may just reach a natural end of stopping being useful because we're pulled onto other things or you open source it and you still develop it but with the added benefit that if you find a community of interested users if you find one other person who is inspired by it and wants to give back and finds bugs because they're using it in ways that you hadn't imagined but are perfectly valid bugs to hit it just it can it just raises the boat of quality of what you're producing. And yeah, I think that's 
it's quite an idea, idealistic mode. Yeah. Suddenly, it then gets a challenge around when you then want to think about commercializing, which is the sort of the second half of perhaps of the Node Red story now. That you know, having developed as open source, built this huge community around it. I two years ago now, I found myself in a position where an opportunity arose to leave IBM and start a company around Node Red, and so that's what I did. So just over two years ago now, I founded Flowforge, which is, we're an open core company, by which we mean the software we're building in Flowforge is is itself open source, or at least open core. And it's really based on this idea of having seen how Node-RED is being used and how it's being adopted, looking at some of those barriers that the more commercial and enterprise users have experienced trying to adopt Node-RED on a more formal basis. So it's a lot of the stuff, because in the Node-RED project, we've focused very much on being, it's the Node-RED runtime and just concern ourselves with the application you've built in Node-RED. But when you want to move into a more enterprise environment, whether it's manufacturing, industrial, or any other industry, an organization where you have a CIO or <laughs> an IT department who cares about the software you're running in your environment, what can you do just to make it easier and just super simple to manage Node-RED within your organization? So how you manage access control, how you manage updates, how you can bring some of those DevOps type software practices of having test environments, deploying to production, all those sorts of workflows. How can we bring that those sorts of qualities to to the Node-RED environment? And also recognizing for a lot of companies who, I'm sure you've seen Node-RED everywhere when you go to events like the Hanover Mess and things like that. Often that's Node-RED has come about because developers like ourselves have installed it and have done something useful with it. And you always get to that point where you then want to speak to your boss and say, look, this is super useful. Can we roll it out wider? And then it's those sorts of questions of, okay, who's going to support it? Who do we phone when something goes wrong? Or you know, how do we integrate it with our security policies? All the sort of SOC 2, ISO 27001, all those sorts of... There's, there's a whole lot of boring stuff you have to do when you want to bring software into environments. And really, we want to solve those problems with Flowforge and build a platform that makes it super easy to manage Node-RED at scale, whilst also recognizing we want to keep Node-RED developing, keep progressing with the core of Node-RED as the OpenJS project and being open with that and bringing it forward. That's where I find myself now, after a couple of years, we're building this platform and yeah, we've, we have certainly honed in the manufacturing and industrial IoT type space for where we're more focused with the Flowforge platform, looking at the sorts of solutions that people want to build in that space and some of their challenges around managing Node-RED. Interesting. Nick, we do have a couple of questions in chat, but while we're still on the topic of Flowforge, I do want to answer Matt's question. Oh, yes. So he made a comment saying, as someone unfamiliar with Flowforge and just quickly reading over it, is it pushing containers down to the devices or is it updating the flows running on the device locally? It pushes the flows down to the device. 
So we have a little device agent that you run on the device that connects back to the platform. And then, yeah, when you want to push out flows, you can, so you, de you develop your flows in a sort of cloud environment. You can then create a snapshot of those flows saying, yep, I'm happy with that. And then you can push the, that snapshot out to all of the devices connected to that application. So if you've got, you, know, you might have a particular application in your environment, you might have, you want to deploy the same set of flows out to multiple devices because they're all talking to the same sorts of hardware, that sort of use case. Yeah, so we, we push flows down to the device agent rather than full-blown containers. I would say, Go ahead, Matt's got another question. We've got a couple of questions. Can you maybe, for people who are unfamiliar with Node-RED to know the difference between Node-RED and what you guys are doing, open coring, Flowforge, can you give yeah. just everyone the quick 30-second rundown of Node what Node-RED is overall as a package and where everything lives, and then what you guys are doing to, I'm just going to use the word industrialize with Flowforge, please. No, absolutely. So think of Node-RED as this integration runtime. It's a single process runtime that you can run on a device in the cloud, wherever you want. And it gives you the editor as well as that runtime piece that lets you build your application, deploy it, and it just runs as a process on that device, doing whatever work your flows define. So that that is essentially no dread. So then with Flowforge, we're thinking, okay, what happens if I've now got within my environment a hundred Node-RED instances all doing different things or I want to have an environment where it's, someone can just spin up a new Node-RED to do some new piece of processing in the environment type of thing. So that's what Flowforge is. It's how you manage lots of individual Node-REDs, which could be running in the Flowforge platform or it could be running on remote devices outside of the immediate bounds of our platform that connect back. Anna said, we are building Flowforge as it is an open core piece of software. Mm. So we have Flowforge Cloud, which is us running our own software that people can sign up to today and get Node-RED running in the cloud and connect devices and experience the platform. But people can also install the whole Flowforge platform for themselves within their own environment, whether it's within their own AWS account or even on a server in, on the factory floor, where whatever's suitable, so they can actually manage it entirely for themselves there. So, yeah, so Flowforge is about managing those Node-RED instances and okay. how you distribute the flows to devices and manage what's running where. That's, that's the, hopefully that helps delineate the two, but we want to make Flowforge a super simple way for people to run Node-RED Okay. without without having to manually manage it for themselves type of thing. Okay. I like that. And, <clears throat> excuse me. So Matt has a follow-up question asking what happens when the device doesn't have the correct version of the node installed? Yep. So the so the bearing in mind we are developing iteratively and things evolve, but with the current device agent, whenever new flows are pushed down, it does check the modules, what's installed, what does it need to have installed, and it will attempt to install the modules that are needed by whatever's just been pushed down. Right now, there is a, it does some mod dependency management as part of that. It does assume the device has access to the public NPM repository on the internet, but we also recognize that's not always an option in industrial environments. So it, that is something we're looking at. We've done some work to, so uh, 
a customer of ours is has exactly that problem that their they their factory floor is on a closed network it can't reach out or it's very selective as to what parts of the internet it can reach out to but for them they have a very stable standard image of what node red looks like so they have pre-built a container with all of the modules they want pre-installed and they've pushed that out to their devices themselves but including our device agent and then so our device agent is then configured don't worry about installing extra stuff just assume stuff has been installed that and so you can then manage the flows and for that customer that that has solved the problem because it fits in with their existing workflow of using containers to manage the software on those devices but it's i think it's an area that there's plenty of scope to evolve and ultimately we're developing the open we're keen to get that feedback from real users as to what sorts of solutions work for them nick i want to ask you and i think we can certainly go down the path of these very technical questions but i do want to step back a little bit just for a moment and i know that node red is not primarily built for the manufacturing sector, right? There's a lot of different nodes that can be applied in a lot of different industries. So I'm curious, again, since you have a lot of visibility on how it is used, what are maybe like other use cases or what are other ways people are using Node-RED outside of manufacturing? Yeah, it's it certainly has, it has found a home across a wide variety. I, certainly the IoT space is it's, and the industrial manufacturing is, Anything interacting with things is does tend to be its natural home, but we've seen I've seen fascinating use cases around. In fact, that there, there was a company who used it as part of a just trying to find the right words for this because I haven't described it out loud for a while. A they built AI services for online gaming chat services. So they built systems that would analyze all the chat going on in a game to look for yeah, misbehavior by people playing it. And they integrated Node-RED for their analysts to build all the sort of the AI models of detecting different types of speech and the different patterns of that they wanted to detect. And again, a great example of their users weren't programmers they were linguists they were people who understood language and understood how to do text analysis that type of stuff and nerdred made it super easy for them to build the sort of logical flow of how to detect types of language that's one example we've seen it used in in banking we've seen it used in insurance companies using it for interesting again those tend to be again gathering sensor data for doing interesting things with dynamic insurance policies type stuff I've seen it. There's, I'm going to see that message from Sean. Yeah. So this is one close to my heart. There is a, uh, there is a clothing company on the Isle of Wight, which small end off the South coast of the UK near where I live, who do t-shirt printing and clothes printing, that type of stuff. And they've built a system where people can actually create their own online store with all their own designs and all this sort of stuff. Their entire factory is automated through Raspberry Pis running Node Red, so all of the pick and the picking machines for you need prints barcodes that they can scan, and then on a Node Red dashboard it tells them which bin to put this T-shirt that's just been printed, and it's really cool to see. And we went and did a factory visit there a few years ago, 
and they it the system has grown and they've got do dozens of raspberry pis around the place but they had one in the middle of the factory floor which was an old supermarket so they built this up their factory was an old supermarket which was really weird because it was a supermarket i shopped in when i was on holiday there a couple of years earlier which <laughs> anyway but just hanging in the middle on a column was a raspberry pi hanging off its ethernet connection with a sticker saying do not unplug and he assured me it that wasn't and that was no longer the heart of the factory it had been for a time <laughs> but they realized they shouldn't really have the central nervous system of their factory just hanging off its ethernet cable in the middle of the factory floor. but they had left it there as a tribute to where they had begun but I really like that. I think we need to send Dave to this factory for a couple of months and maybe sell him on the idea of implementing that way. So, he'll so, he'll continue his projects on Raspberry Pi. So I was going to say, I'm over here and I don't think I've ever been more triggered in any conversation I've ever had than Sean asking that question. I feel like Sean specifically asked that question because he knew how I would feel about that. So, <laughs> so first, thank you, Sean. We do have some more questions, but before we've got some questions, we've got some people to thank. So we would like to thank Siemens for sponsoring this entirety of the, <clears throat> excuse me, efficient engineering theme. And before we get into talking a little bit about this, again, we want to remind you that Vlad and myself and I don't know, a few tens of thousands of other people will be at Automate in two weeks, starting May 22nd through the 25th. We will be at the Siemens booth 3618 for all of Wednesday, and we'll probably be in and out for a good chunk of that. We'll also be at a bunch of other booths. So if you're going to be at Automate, be sure to stop by Siemens and be sure to go find us to come say hi, to come get some stickers and to do all of those other things. But with that, we want to again thank Siemens for sponsoring this and the potential of automation to eliminate repetitive and low value tasks is quite significant. And the engineering tasks are no exception. In its report, Jobs Lost, Jobs Gained, What the Future of Work Will Mean for Job Skills and Wages, the McKinsey Global Institute found that an eight-hour workday being the norm, the average employee loses up to 60 hours per month of easily automated tasks, which is one-third of its their time. Innovative companies like Siemens have been making great strides in topics for interdisciplinary collaboration, modularization, automated engineering, openness, and validation and testing. If you'd like to unlock efficient engineering workflows, check out the link in the description today. Again, we want to thank Siemens for sponsoring this, their entire the entirety of the theme for all of their continued support. And I assume like a big old pile of Siemens swag that they're going to give Vlad so he can go put up in the wall behind him. And if you guys have are listening in podcast form and you haven't seen the wall of technology behind Vlad, you, are, you guys are absolutely missing out. Maybe for the next big episode, we'll show you the floor of PLCs that Vlad has to, to gingerly step over every day in order to get to the desk in front of that wall. But no, Nick, love this conversation. We had a question early earlier in the show from AJ, and he wants to know, is there any specific pattern that has emerged or become popular from Node-RED applied to manufacturing or reusable framework? And then to, I guess, I'd love to know that. And, I, and then based upon, are you guys basing what you guys are doing with Flowforge or the concept of Flowforge around any pattern that you've seen emerge? So I think broadly, one of the most common things we are seeing Node-RED get used for is around the dashboarding side and the visualization of data. So you know, Node-RED is great for pulling in the data and transforming it, sending off somewhere else, doing that sort of integration work. But 
a super common pattern we see is the fact it lets you just throw up a data dashboard on your factory floor wherever you need it. A Raspberry Pi plugged into a TV and you can just throw up whatever information, whatever data visualization you want super quickly and change it really rapidly. So having that sort of really adaptable data visualization on the dashboarding side is certainly something we've we have seen a fair amount of. And but we certainly also hear the Node-RED dashboarding story without getting onto the, the nitty-gritty of it. It's an area that we need to do some work in our in the ongoing roadmap of mm-hmm. Node-RED in terms of the existing Node-RED dashboard is reaching the end of its legs in terms of the software stack underneath it. And so that that's something we're looking at closely with what we can do in Flowforge in terms of is that something we can help reinvigorate and bring because because we so often we just the feedback we hear is the dashboarding side is so valuable in, in what you can do with Node-RED. In terms of other general patterns, I think it would be hard to distill it down to, to to anything. I think we see such the types of things people are doing are similar, but everyone has their own sort of way of approaching it, if that makes sense. It's a lot about Node-RED letting you, with its vast piles of nodes, integrates with so many. You know, there are OPC nodes, there are Modbus nodes, there's nodes for all sorts of different PLCs that people have created in the community. Using Node-RED as a way that can pull data from all these different sources in ways that those device manufacturers aren't always necessarily keen, shall we say, that the data should get broken out of their <laughs> closed platform. But the fact that Node-RED makes it can really help you pull your data from lots of disparate sources and start getting that insight that by pulling different bits of data and you can be so ad hoc about it. You can just experiment saying, oh, what, what if we pull information from that line in? Can we get any extra insights from there? And Node-RED just makes it easy to experiment and find what's useful and be much more, I don't say ad hoc is the wrong word for it, but just being much more situation. You realize yeah, yeah, perhaps a, a line is running slowly. You're not sure why. Just throw some Node-RED, throw, throw some Node-RED flows together that just capture some data and you can just monitor something and can you spot any patterns, that type of stuff. This isn't a software solution you're going to then run for two years. It might just be, I need this for a week just to monitor something, just to see, is there a problem type of thing? So the speed with which Node-RED lets you build that sort of thing is hugely valuable. But yeah. Nick, I had a question before the stream, which aligns a little bit to the topic of scaling with manufacturing. And the question was, I think that a lot of people see Node-RED currently as as an application, right? So you can certainly, as you've described, like you can deploy that on a Raspberry Pi, you can deploy that on an IPC that runs Linux, you can put it in the cloud. But what about scaling that to maybe like an enterprise solution slash platform, right? Mm -hmm. Do you see it becoming where let's say Vlad is the corporate engineer, I'm telling 10 different plans with like, obviously IT guys like deploy a server for me, I'm gonna deploy Node-RED there and I can orchestrate a deployment across the entire enterprise, be able to pull data with it into a central location and orchestrate more than just, hey, let's do this proof of concept on a Raspberry Pi, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Is there like a road path that you see or do you think that it will still be this like application, like one-off solution. What are your thoughts on like scalability in general? Absolutely, Node-RED can absolutely 
play that role and talk about the ad hoc nature of it, but still, you can build uh, long-running scalable services in Node-RED. It sits just as well in that space. This is something we are looking at on the Flowforge side as well in terms of how you can build scalability and high availability around Node-RED, having multiple instances of Node-RED and being able to scale the workload across them or having a hot spare instance that can spin up if a primary fails and take over the workload, those sorts of topics. So those are very active conversations and work we are exploring right now with Flowforge. And it's always an interesting balance between your what's a core Node-RED capability versus something like Flowforge, which is more about orchestrating Node-RED. That said, I would I always say don't underestimate what a single Node-RED can do. I think it is one of those, yes, it, Node.js, the programming runtime that Node-RED is built on top of, it is a single-threaded runtime, but equally for the right workloads, it you'd be, I think people can underestimate what, how much you can push through. But also I'd say in terms of patterns, again, this is very much coming with my MQT background of don't build solutions that you try and get every piece of data back to a central point and do all your work on that data at the central point. It's do your work as close to where the data is produced as possible and push up the insights, push up what the the PARS data, the, the knowledge that you can glean from the workload. So don't think of it as, as you have a single Node-RED in the cloud and all the data must hit it and it does all the work. It's actually, we've got some Node-REDs right on the edge that are doing some local processing. And when they detect an interesting event, they send those events up. And it's almost like this tree of applications that, so the workload at the core is actually much reduced because you've pushed more of the intelligence out towards the edge and made the you know, sort of the edge nodes more autonomous in their in the work they're able to do so i think that's it's that sort of when we talk about patterns it's that sort of thing around just thinking about where's the right place to process a piece of data and it's always going to be as close to the point that that data is produced as possible because you don't want to waste time and energy moving that data any further than you really need to. Yeah, absolutely. And there's going to be tons of variation in applications, verticals, like industries. So I think it's certainly not a one size fits all end, right? But I think it's going to be interesting to see if it will be possible. As an example, we mentioned that it's single threaded. If there is someone who wants to scale that data from, let's say, 10 tags to 10,000 tags, can it automatically spin up like extra instances mm -hmm. that allow that low to go through and ultimately as you've mentioned also if there is an instance that goes down there is maybe like a backup that can automatically automatically be replicated and of course that solution may not be needed at a very small factory that's running proof of concept applications but someone who's looking to scale it would be certainly yeah. something that they might consider they might not even go with that solution if it doesn't provide some of those features. So yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Absolutely. And yeah, we recognize that very much. And as I said, so the high availability and scalability is an important epic in our backlog at the moment. And we've got some iterative steps in that direction we're working on. Interesting. We have a comment from Grayson Dawson. He said that my pr project uses Node-RED in industrial robotics. Thinking through scalability as an enterprise solution is on my mind. Great question. Would be interested in 
connecting with you all further. So definitely goes in line with what you just mentioned. I think it's going to be really interesting to see if we can manage those like rollouts more scalably. Let me, let me, Dave, I was going to say, let me follow up on that with a couple of questions. Nick, we talked about everything from this t-shirt manufacturing company running node red on a raspberry Pi, literally dangling from the ethernet in the middle of the facility to proof of concepts, which is where it came from, which was a really good example and kind of dashboards where it's built from. I guess the, the two part question is where do you see in, in which part of the automation roadmap, if you will, do you see people looking and leveraging Node-RED and where in there are you looking to, are you looking to build Flowforge? What sort of solution, what sort of kind of prime customer are you, do you imagine Flowforge will serve in the future? So for us, it's anyone who wants to manage Node-RED at scale within their environment where they perhaps you're already seeing the value of Node-RED in your environment. So you understand what Node-RED is, you understand what it's capable of, but you're also now faced with the question of, okay, how can we manage this at scale and how can we get it working where it isn't just that proof of concept on one line, it's actually now we've got 200 instances we need because of the size of our facility or facilities across across multiple sites type of thing. We have... And we have seen people tackle that and take on board the orchestration side for themselves. And frankly, that isn't their core business. They're not there to build an orchestration platform for Node-RED. That's, so I think that's where Flowforge steps in and wants to, is the natural space to stepping in for helping people. Node-RED has such huge and varied user community. A lot of home automation. We've just recently finished our second survey of the community, which we're just about to publish the results of, but seeing a large swathe of, you know, sort of the, the individual hobbyist home automation type user, but certainly seeing a growth in industrial use and quote unquote professional use. And yeah, there's that's only growing that sort of desire to run Node-RED in real environments and yes it started out as a tool for doing proof of concepts and that's quick agile type work but it's long been the case that there's so much production work running through node reds in the world today that it's it is people shouldn't be writing it off as only good for pocs type of stuff another use case without i cannot name names but there are theme parks in the world where as you walk around with a wristband to interact with stuff, every time you tap in with that wristband, you are interacting with Node-RED. And this is a theme park, a well-known theme park around the world type of thing. So there are big serious uses of Node-RED out there in the wild doing real things that we don't see. And it's always what my, as the lead, quote unquote, of the Node-RED project, I, I we have I have conversations like this all the time, and people say, "Oh, tell us where have you seen No Dread? What types of things?" And I always say, I always turn it around also to the audience, and say, "Look, if you've got a cool story about No Dread, please tell me because I see so much of what people do in when they share it in the community forum and that type of stuff. I I I love to hear the stories of how people are using No Dread. So if people watching this listen to this have some cool No Dread stories, then please do share because." Again, we, I'm 
I just know it's being used far wider than I'm aware of that I come across. And like I said, Hanover Mess, I wasn't there, colleagues were, I know you guys were. The amount of Node Red you could just see as you walked around the floor was just incredible and real validation for what we've built. And I will maybe throw down the gauntlet that Dave and I would also be very interested in seeing factories that utilize Node-RED at the scale that Nick, you described in, in the UK. I think that's a really interesting use case, certainly. But we do have a few questions coming in. I don't want to bombard you with technicalities <laughs> of Node-RED. People are certainly interested and we will have links to Nick's profile if he chooses to accept all the questions coming in from the audience, you can certainly reach out to him directly. But Nick, I certainly am very excited to see what Flowforge grows out to be. I think that it certainly has a lot of merit and a lot of applications in our space. Is there something that I want to ask you in general? Are you excited on a particular solution that it might solve? Are you having some thoughts of hey, this might be a really cool feature and I'm looking forward, maybe it's in two years that it will be developed. I'm curious to get your, I'm sure that you have plenty of ideas and you discuss them with your team, but are there any specific things that stand out in your mind that will be really interesting for us to see and ponder as we wait for them to Absolutely. be released? So I think the one that always springs to mind, because it's, sorry, okay. <laughs> sorry. The two things that spring to mind, and I'm sure if I delay any longer, I'll think of at least a five more, but... Collaborative editing in Node-RED. So try and get that Google Docs experience where you can actually have two people collaborate in real time on building the application and actually see what each other's doing, that type of collaborative development. And I think that's a lot of what we want to help with the Flowforge is that team collaborative development of flows. Yeah, that, that's one area. I'm with, There are conversations in the community dating back quite a while now, but that's something I'm excited to see. The other one, which I think is quite important for more commercial and enterprise level adoption is testing and having a better, essentially what is a test framework for a low code application where it's all well and good building your application, drag and drop, describe your flows, but how do you, you test it? And how do you validate mm. it's good in software development, you're in lines of code development, you'd be quite used to writing test cases and you'd have some process that runs and runs all the test cases and validates and all that sort of stuff. What's the equivalent in a low code environment? How do you build low code tests? So I think that's, again, it's an area we've had a long running conversation on with in the Node-RED community with some contributors, but it's one I'm, I think is one of those missing pieces. When you look across lots of low code environments, being able to say, not only yeah, here's my low code application, but here are the tests that I can run to validate what it's doing and that it's behaving as I expect type of thing. So I think that's super interesting. On the Flowforge side, we are doing more and more on the DevOps side. So getting away from this idea of, okay, you've developed some flows here. I've now got to copy and paste the configuration between node reds to push it into production and looking at the automation we can bring to that i think that's going to really make a difference to bringing some I, again in no way wanting to malign the approach but 
it's bringing some more rigorous software engineering practice to a low code environment keeping in mind though that the people creating these flows one of the values of node red is the people creating the flows aren't necessarily software engineers who are seeped in this idea of test cases of all that sort of stuff how can we keep the those bring those ideals to a low code environment that is accessible to the broad range of audience of node red users interesting i Dave, I, what are your thoughts i, I like this and i kind of want to transition this into the normal question that i ask about the future but nick i feel like you, you've answered most of the what do you <laughs> see within the node ready ecosystem in the future so let me broaden to the what do you expect to see either with open source tools or with adoption of a variety of these different tools in the next two to three years within the industrial manufacturing realm i think it's super hard to say but i think historically my perception and i will say this my background isn't seeped in industry manufacturing so this is my what i've seen as a sort of I won't say outside of my, my perception of from the conversations I've had with the people who are doing the day-to-day -day work in these environments is I think I certainly get the sense there is a the adoption of bringing open source to these sorts of environments is there is a lag in sort of the manufacturing industry. I think a lot of the traditional PLC manufacturers and the hardware manufacturers like have benefited from and they've liked having their ecosystem of solution that all plays nicely together, but you, you invest in it wholesale. I think the ability for open source to help break down some of those barriers is super exciting. And I think I would, I whether this is naive or not, it's starting to see some of the, these manufacturers be more open and recognize that Node-RED, and I, other tools, Node-RED isn't the only only option, but open source isn't going to go away. And if we can get more investment from some of the some of those manufacturers into building an ecosystem and being a participant in that ecosystem, I think is going to be super helpful. What one of my as a project lead on Node-RED, trying to think about it's not just about developing Node-RED; it's also this overall sustainability of the project. How do we keep the lights on with the project? And it all comes down to the community around it and who's contributing. And I think having finding ways that we can get more commercial entities interested in actually helping further what we're doing with Node-RED is one of the paths to improving its sustainability. And I think what we can do with Flowforge is really bring some more attention to stop ignoring node red <laughs> there, there is you take your head out of the sand and recognize there is a, an ever-growing demand for node red to, to, or tools like node red solutions like that that and you risk being left behind if you don't start participating that's what i hope we can help achieve with flowforge by being having those serious conversations around the role node red can have in industry manufacturing Absolutely. I Nick, go ahead, Vlad. I was gonna well piggyback off that of that answer a little bit on a slight tangent. So Nick, I'm certainly I wouldn't call myself an AI expert, but I've seen videos of AI being utilized to create node red flows, which I found 
quite interesting. And I think that's certainly going to even further facilitate and allow broader deployment of such flows. I'm curious if you do have a take, maybe, I don't know if you had a chance to play with those tools yet, but I'm curious like what your thoughts are on automating some of the flow creation through AI. I'm, where am I? I'm, I, yeah. I think it's, it is fun. And a lot of people are having fun with it. In fact, we at Flowforward, we have published a Node-RED function node with chat GPT integrated, you can type in a prompt box in the node to describe what you want the code to do. And it will get chat GPT to generate the function code for you really? in the node, which it's a bit of fun. I'm, it's one of those, I'm still trying to figure out. So one of the challenges I have with this, these systems is if you start relying on them wholesale, it's great when it works, it's going to be disastrous when it doesn't work. And that the system has told you what it thinks you want to hear, not what you need to hear type of thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I think for, it's going to be interesting. And this isn't just no dread. This isn't just low code. I think the whole domain, it's how you build safety into these systems that, that you can, recognize when it gets it wrong because it isn't going to get it right all the time and i think that there was some really interesting work colleagues were doing back when i was at ibm about explainable ai so it's not just about coming up with an answer it's explaining why it thinks that's the answer and it's that kind of how do you build trust in the system i think it's fascinating to see how quickly particularly over the last six months even some of these technologies have evolved. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it almost feels like a need to have that bit of a step back and say, great, we've built a system that can give us answers that look entirely plausible, but that system has no idea if that answer was factually correct or not. It just, it looks right. <laughs> and having a system that can tell you what it reckons you've got to build a lot of trust to be sure that what it reckons is actually what you want to hear. So anyway, I think there's, it's going to be interesting to see how this develops. I think it is inevitable that AIs will take, be able to do a lot of that low level work of those tasks, how that translates to what you and I do day to day, who knows, but I, I watch it with a healthy skepticism of where it really is today, but not to discount where it will be tomorrow. I can appreciate that, Nick. Uh, so the next question I like to ask is about career advice, but instead of going into automation manufacturing, I want to ask a little bit more about open source. And, mm -hmm. and I think you, you said it earlier, and I think the number one, we'll just say pain point of most open source solutions that I'm aware of are developers going into to, to take the requests and going to push out known good code and add features and add graphic graphical design and add all of that. So until artificial intelligence comes in and just completes Node-RED, and then we can sit, just sit back and let it go ahead and continue to build itself, th there will be a need for people to go contribute to, to open source projects. Can you tell us and developers listening a good way to get started either with Node-RED or perhaps open source projects in general? So I think it always helps to go in, find that project that you're 
genuinely interested in and look for how look to what you can bring to that project and usually with open source it's about community and it's about conversation so it's not about jumping in with both feet and saying here i've spent six weeks implementing this feature here you go type of thing it's the it's i think that the healthy open source projects are the ones with the healthy communities of people around them that are welcoming to newcomers who maybe aren't sure where best to get started and are those who are open and receptive to people who want to get started now that that can be a challenge sometimes from my from the sort of the maintainer side because I, there's nothing more than i would love dearly to have lots of people contributing to node red on the flip side having lots of people saying hey nick can you help me get started contributing to node red is is a separate challenge of how do we then as maintainers not put people off just because we are also busy people with day jobs and life uh, i would anyone interested in getting involved with open source is find the community around that open source just be a part be a voice in that community and talk to the people in that community and find your way in to maybe it's a bit of documentation maybe it's everyone everyone has to start somewhere and everyone needs to, should make their first contribution somewhere and it can be as simple as clarifying a bit of the documentation it can be as simple as the project a typo on the project website seemingly inconsequential things but they all make it they're all little tasks that other people haven't had the time to address and they just it's those little things it's about building trust it's about building familiarity and then on the technology side pick something that you are familiar you are passionate about and again talk to the maintainers and see what see if there are any particular areas that 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 would be good places for you to get started i'm i think i'm i like community i think that's one of my favorite parts of the non-technical parts of node red is node red forum gets like a million page views a month there's it's super active and it's got to the point where i don't post very often on the forum just because there are so many people in the forum willingly helping all comers to the forum at all all sorts of questions at all levels of ability and yeah again it's a testament to the community rather than anything i've done with node red and i think this has been one of our successes of node red is the people and the community we've built around it absolutely i think that's interesting i find that if you're interested in any piece of technology and you can go find a good community they will certainly point you they will certainly point you in the right direction and it's always happy to hear that it's on that 10 years after the inception that the community has come built itself up enough that that you nick don't have to go live in the forums going and answering the very simple sticky questions that that all the new users have to ask so thank you for that one of the things that we always like to ask is for some content recommendations and we've talked about so many different things vlad is going to take 45 minutes putting all of the node red discussion <laughs> boards and all of that in the show notes which will be out in podcast form after this but nick beyond that do you have some good content recommendations of things people might be interested in taking a look at this is a bit of a complete left turn i was trying to think because you know, obviously you sort of primed me with this question i thought okay so what have i read recently what do i look at and i've realized i haven't really read books recently and i was trying to think well, why not i used to read a lot and it's down to one youtube channel which is my recommendation called cracking the cryptic 
which is, it's a couple of guys in the UK, and every day they post two videos where they will spend some time solving a Sudoku puzzle, one of the number puzzles. Okay. And, but they're all different rule sets, and some of these videos are 20 minutes long, sometimes they are two hours long. And I've realized the reason I haven't sat down and read a book is because in the evening, they post them in the UK, like 8.30pm and 11pm. And I'll just sit on the sofa and I'll find, and because they're all online, so you can do the puzzle. And I find actually one of the best ways I find just to switch off and unwind my brain from the day is doing things like number puzzles, doing things like that. And it's just fascinating sometimes, and it might sound bonkers, but to spend an hour just watching someone solve a puzzle, I tend to attempt the puzzle. And when I get stuck, I then watch the video and <laughs> get unstuck. Yeah. But it's wait, they post it, they solve it by hand, or this is like some algorithmic, no, it's, like it's, different approach they, to stuff. They are solving them. So the two guys, one of them is a Times crossword champ. Yeah, they are okay. very good at doing this, but. In just, I appreciate, yeah, complete left turn, nothing to do with technology, but in terms of, I was trying to work out why I haven't read books, and it's because I spend my evenings staring at Sudoku puzzles, just, and I find it a great way to switch off. And this, uh, to bring it around, one of the challenges with being an open source maintainer is it isn't a Monday to Friday nine to five job because your community isn't. Monday to Friday, nine to five. And one of the challenges has historically been just keeping, finding those times when you can switch off. And I think for me, doing something like that is one of the routes I can switch off and just focus, use a different part of my brain for an hour and just hit reset on a bunch of stuff. So there you go. That's a bit of a, bit of a left turn on that one. I guess I would say cynic love that recommendation. I go, I find myself going through waves of watching mostly strange YouTube videos. They're also strange podcasts that I'll listen to that have all that have absolutely nothing to do with my normal day to day life. Otherwise, my brain just completely stays stays on. So, I, for, from my perspective, completely appreciate completely appreciate that. Vlad and I have had a number of conversations of how does one go leave work at work and and turn it off, and maybe that that's a conversation Vlad and I will have more in depth at the channel at a later point. But I love it. I'm also desperately worried that if I start watching this YouTube channel, that will be three hours of my <laughs> life every day. Very tempted to go click the link that Vlad has in the description and show notes. We, we will have to see how that goes. Thank you. But no, th this has been awesome. I guess the last question for you, Nick, is who should reach out? Who do you want to connect to either on the open source side, on the Flowforce side? Are you looking for customers? Are you looking for employees? I know you're looking for use cases. This is very, mm -hmm. your, your soapbox, your open thank you for us sitting here and talking for almost two hours at this point to what can our community do to help you? <laughs> so from my perspective, if you are a Node-RED user and you have a story to tell, please reach out. If you are using Node-RED in, in an industrial manufacturing type setting and you think there's value in what I've talked about with Flowforge, you're interested in that, please reach out. Even if you're not, please reach out. Because <laughs> I again, I'd love to hear about what problems you guys face with Node-RED. And yeah, yes, the Flowforge side, because that's the day job, but also very much on, on the Node-RED side of any feedback or interest in what's missing with Node-RED itself at the heart of it. So all of that type of space. We are 
we are hiring Node.js developer type roles, DevOps type roles, sales roles at Flowforge. If you're interested in talking about any of that, please do reach out. I'm hopefully fairly easy to find on LinkedIn or, or social media generally, but I'm sure you guys can provide the necessary links in in the notes. So yeah, and I will say I'm always open to chatting about Node-RED with anyone who wants to chat about Node-RED. So please feel free to, to reach out. Absolutely. One, I think this is amazing. Two, I will say that if you do have folks coming to you talking about Node-RED applications and we can have a larger conversation live on the internet about it and we're not breaching any sort of NDAs, we would love to go have that conversation with end users. That is something that Vlad and I love to do. Very infrequently are we able to not have to like pre-record and then send through legal and then maybe six months edit out 80% of the good stuff. But <laughs> if there are applications, even white labeled applications that we can talk about, those are always super amounts of fun. Oh, yeah, those are always super amounts of fun. So we will, of course, extend that offering. If someone talks to Nick and has an interesting Node-RED or Flowforge application, we can go talk about it online. We would love to do it on this show to, to go, yeah, to go talk about what those applications look like. With that, thank you everyone for coming to hang out. If you're going to be at Automate between the week of May 22nd, please come hang out with us at the Siemens booth, at the Phoenix Contact booth, at the Festo booth. We will be all over. And a good part of what we want to do is see you people, the folks who we have talked to, either interviewed on the guest or talk on and chat or all of the above. So if you're going to be there, feel free to drop us, drop us a note. We would love to go connect. If we haven't met, we'd love to connect, say hi, talk about some stuff. We've got stickers and a bunch of other fun stuff. Vlad may or may not have 4,000 PLCs with him. It will be interesting to see what he comes to Detroit with. Beyond that, again, thank you to Siemens for going ahead and sponsoring this. And if you guys have made it all the way through, Please feel free to, to subscribe to the Solus, U, the Solus PLC YouTube channel, the Manufacturing Hub LinkedIn page, as well as myself and Vlad and Nick. All of our contact information, LinkedIn profiles, etc., should be down below and wherever you guys are watching and or listening. So please feel free to go ahead and do that. And if you are listening on podcast form, please give us a follow. Please rate us five stars. We've got episodes that come out basically every Thursday, plus an extra one or two floating bonuses throughout the course of the month. I find that if I ask you guys to subscribe, you guys subscribe and more people listen to us and then more people find us. But until next week, we'll see everyone soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks, Thanks everyone. everyone. Great.